going to do it, but maybe it will. You don't think it'll stop cutting me off? No, because you insulted its uh, well-being. It's fucked. No. <laughs> I mean, what what is that? What are they thinking? I Here's the thing. How long before we have to evolve to the next step of an upgraded software? How uh, long are we gonna? How long are we gonna do this? I don't know. I mean, probably I'm, soon. I guess we'll have to get <laughs> one of them. I don't know. For, here's the problem: when you do that, then we both have to have access to it. And if we know anything about software, they're kind and of licenses, greedy. Yeah, they're kind of greedy. Oh, you and... need to borrow. F- you need nine to thirty licenses <laughs> to have two licenses. Can you imagine if you had a giant business? How much money you're paying Microsoft just to run? On a computer that barely functions. It's crazy. Well, it is crazy. Here's the other thing. Why is it every company decides that the least important part is RAM? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Have you ever noticed? Mm-hmm. I'm assuming they have very low RAM because, uh, like, the computer at my current job, when you sign in, you have to sit there for at least five minutes before <laughs> the Windows 10 screen opens up. Like... I wonder how much dedicated RAM work computers have on average. I wonder. Actually, uh, maybe you know, don't they? They have like the server room, right? Don't they? All the computers share it? Isn't that how those work? Oh, I guess so, yeah. Yeah, so. All right. It's a server's problem. Yeah, they're all running. They're all just little shitty boxes (laughs) that run off the server. I guess when, like, you work in the medical field, I guess the the computers are kind of low on the totem pole. Of importance there because you really Shouldn't don't because they all run on a computer. You really don't have time to mess with them anyway. Most people don't. Mm-hmm. Um, you know they got other stuff to be doing. So how was your week, by the way? Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Bumblebutt Podcast, the only podcast on the internet that uploads weekly. Who knows what it'll be about? Certainly, it's me and Kelly <laughs> and Candace and the rest of you. It's Ronald Dominique Part Two. Hell yeah! Uh, I'll tell you how my week was. It was fantastic. I watched. A bunch of uh, Dazen, a bunch of fights, a bunch of boxing matches on Dazen, D-A-Z-N. This is a fighting streaming service now? Well, it's the one Canelo partially owns. It's a a fighting promotion slash streaming service. Okay. Uh, Triple G Box is there. Uh, Anthony Joshua, Tyson Fury. Okay. A, lot of them, a lot of them fight on Daz and Cal- Canelo, obviously. Has that British boy boxed again since he got embarrassed? Uh yes, and he he's had. done well. He's, he's done yeah, well. He's the he's the best. He's gonna he's just like the Minnesota Vikings never learn. You never underestimate your opponent. Yes, even if he looks <laughs> like a tubby little man. Yeah. Should, I mean twenty. Three people underestimated the tubby little man we're about to talk about again, Ooh. and they paid for it with their lives. That's for true, sure. True, true. Did you? I know you were supposed to. Did you find a sexy Ronald yet? I didn't find we're, a sexy we're, Ronald. We're still looking for. Uh, I, I seriously don't think it exists. I've been scouring the web for sexy Ronalds, <laughs> and I can't find a single fucking one. Maybe a sexy Ronald will reach out to us. Ronnie, get at me. <laughs> We left off last week with Ronald Dominique, the Bayou Strangler, having killed 11 men, all street people, and all with some sort of criminal record. Dominique was currently stalking his 12th victim, Anoka Jones, who was peddling to the store to grab a pack of cigarettes. Hey, can we talk? Anoka gave the small, ugly, pudgy man an ocular pat-down and sensed nothing dangerous, so Anoka decided to give him the time of day. Soon enough, Anoka hopped back on his bike and pedaled back to his girlfriend's apartment to lock it up. 
He'd been made a hell of an offer, but first he had to make sure his only mode of transport was safe and also tell the love of his life, Shelley, that he would be back later. You know when you're given a description of uh, Ronald here, now that I think about it, he kind of reminds me of Milton from Office Space became a serial killer. Yeah. Doesn't yeah, he? Yeah. Yeah. With the close together eyes and everything. I mean, because <laughs> yeah. his face is... He is an ugly, terrible, ugly man. Yeah, he's definitely like a... He could be a male Karen, to be honest. Like, you'd see a person who looks like that, who's in some store at the return counter, complaining and yelling at the kids who work there. He just no looks question. like that. Yeah. Fast forward to 10 p.m., and Anoka's dead body was in the back seat covered by a blanket. Dominique didn't remember his name or if he'd ever even said it, but he had to get rid of the corpse. He left Huma for Lafourche Parish, getting on Interstate 310 past the dutiful officer sitting at a speed trap. Dominique was close to coming his pants as he passed the cop with the dead body in his truck. The thrill was almost too good. So he loved this. Oh, yeah. Most of us who come up on a speed trap start shitting our pants, but this guy's like... This man has never sped in his life, and his tabs are always up to date for just this reason. (laughs) I can tell you, if he came to Cresco, Iowa, he'd be pulled over immediately, even if he wasn't speeding. Just a different car? Yeah. Yeah. Even if you're not speeding, this is all they have to do. That's terrible. The next morning, Officer John Smith was on active patrol, and at 10.30 a.m., he noticed out the window of his squad a black man wearing a blue shirt and black shorts, lying motionless under the 310 overpass in boot. Approaching slowly and not touching anything, Smith noticed dried blood around the mouth as well as a laceration on the victim's back as he was splayed out on his stomach. The body was rigid with rigor mortis and there was no pulse. There were drag marks on the dirt made by the victim's hands. His shirt was raised midway up his abdomen and his shorts were down around his thighs. Smith was simply a patrol officer and he did his part perfectly. He put up the yellow tape, avoided disturbing the crime scene and called the detective. Responding to the call was Detective De Felice, head murder investigator for St. Charles Parish who determined the John Doe was dragged from a vehicle and left at the overpass. This wasn't the murder site. The killer made no attempt to cover up the crime scene. Once again, there was no ID anywhere on the body, so Defelice would have to run the prints through the FBI database, where sure enough, Anoka Jones' name popped right up for previous criminal activity. So, basically, if we think about a highway, and it kind of has, like, the slope thing. It was just, like, his body was just sitting there yep. underneath of it. Under a bridge overpass. Yep. Okay. I mean, people do sleep there sometimes. Do you think he put it there to, like, make it look like it's just somebody sleeping? He wants them found. Mm. He definitely wants mm. them found. Okay. So, yeah, you mentioned that in part one. That's kind of his little... So he wants like, them out of the off. way, but also going to be discovered mm. soon. Okay. Detective DeFelice had no idea that this was the work of the serial killer Detective Thornton had been chasing from part one, if you remember. Mm -hmm. Because St. Charles Parish was never given a copy of the police sketch that had been made and had absolutely no idea a federal manhunt was underway just two parishes over. How big is a parish exactly? Like a county. Okay. Uh, Yeah. I feel like that might have been an important piece of paperwork. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Give it to all the counties. Give it to all the parishes. Give it to all the counties in the next state, too, to be on the lookout for this little bug-eyed weirdo. Here's a they qu- had The sketch was actually pretty good. What It looked just like him. A little bit, yeah. Okay, so people might have confused it. 
<laughs> with Frank from It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. And... <laughs> I would have said Frank Reynolds. <laughs> what are you doing here? Uh, so I was wondering. Now I'm sure you've seen. We have like the LED thing or like um, what do they call them? Why can't I think of it? Where you advertise on the highway. What do they call those things? Uh, The billboards. Yeah, billboard. (laughs) Um, And they always put, like, the most wanted list on there. Yeah. Have you seen that? Yeah. Do you think they'd put him up there? Well, they would if he was was out and active right now, yeah. You think they'd put a picture of a serial killer on them? I feel like that would scare people. Yeah. Well, actually, I don't know. Maybe I don't drive around enough anymore (laughs) on the highways to see them. Usually they put, like... Uh, like a sex offender or something up there. Like, have you seen this person? Oh yeah, okay, okay. Mm. Did you see the Amber Alert yesterday? I yeah. was just, I was just talking about this because it happened right when like the rednecks were storming the Capitol. Yeah, and that came up, and immediately I was like, "Holy nuclear shit. launch!" That's yeah. what I thought at first. Exactly. Nuclear launch. Exactly. I was like, "Holy fuck!" I thought it was a fucking purge moment or yep. something. Like, yep. holy shit! But luck. I mean. They, I heard they did catch the guy. Oh, they did? And they rescued the kid. I did good. hear that, so that's good. And that was in Minnesota, right? Was yep, it? Minneapolis. Wow. wow. Yeah. Haven't heard an Amber Alert in quite a while here. No. And I, one morning when it was going off on my phone, that's mm. when I found the setting to turn off the Amber Alerts, because <laughs> at 2 a.m. my phone started making apocalyptic well, you, noises. <laughs> you're not helping them. No, I'm not. I'm sorry, but you I'm You leave not. on the silver alerts. Yeah, silver alerts. You yeah. leave them on. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> on October 14th, Anoka was on the table at the coroners who determined cause of death considered to be asphyxia by strangulation, manner of death homicide. Mm. Shelly Watson, Anoka's girlfriend, was still waiting for him to come back from the store. It wasn't that uncommon for him to say he was going somewhere and come back a few days later, but it always made her anxious. When she learned of Anoka's fate, she broke down sobbing, obvious. Mm -hmm. Detectives were at a loss and returned to St. Charles Paris HQ to go over the possible suspects. So was Anoka a a sex worker as well? Sort of. Yeah, he was a hustler. He would turn tricks for money. Okay. Not gay, but would suck a dick for hey, cash. Just like Phoenix Saint. That's Sometimes right. Sometimes you just gotta... Boy, he gets a lot of airplay on this show. <laughs> We're trying to resurrect his career. I don't know. Maybe he still does gay porn. I don't know. Uh, but... Porn stars, how long? That's even shorter than the uh, NFL for most of Yeah, I was going to say, once you hit like 23, you're considered basically a retired... Uh, you're a DILF. Person. You're a MILF or a DILF. <laughs> DILF. <laughs> <laughs> Remember when you showed me r slash DILFs? Yes. Oh, my yeah. God. That was an interesting subreddit there. There's a lot of people that have a daddy fetish, I guess. So. Yeah. Well, there's a lot of gentlemen who probably aren't attractive. They just want to post naked pics of yeah. themselves. They so. want to show their dicks yeah. off. Yeah. Detective Thornton over in Jefferson Parish was also poring over his notes looking for suspects. Not for killing Anoka Jones, because he didn't know about it, but mm. for the previous victim, Kenny Randolph Jr. He was, uh, one of the, he was the last ones. Okay. It is lost to time and legend which Parrish noticed the similarities first, but after Thornton was made aware of the Anoka Jones case, he linked it immediately. With the two Parrish's powers combined, it was time to re-interview absolutely everyone, and no more links would be found. Okay. Detective Thornton knew with absolute certainty that these victims were being targeted because the killer understood they weren't considered valuable enough to warrant big stories on the TV or the newspaper. As such... There was also no internal pressure within the department to solve these killings quickly. That made no difference to Thornton. He wouldn't let it go until it was solved. Dominique's next victim was troubled black teen, Dartrell Woods. Dartrell lived in a house with his mom and sister and was released from jail a few months earlier. 
He had a nasty little habit of breaking and entering along with grand theft. Currently, there was a man on Biron Street who was looking for Detrell, and if he didn't get his rings back, he was threatening to kill the whole family. Young Detrell figured this guy might be serious, so he rode over there to return the jewelry. That's when he ran into a friend named Gary, who was driving a Toyota Celica. Detrell hopped in, and the pair rode off into the night. Okay, so he robbed this guy, and then he knew it was him, and he said, you better give me that back, or I'm gonna... Uh, he kept robbing him over and over again. Oh, like repeatedly. For... <laughs> yeah, okay. it was like, Detrell, everyone knows it's you, you <laughs> idiot. <laughs> A couple redneck cousins took their dirt bike and three-wheeler out for a rip around the bayou. Along a small dirt road off Highway 56, the dirt bike's chain fell off, so the pair pulled over for repairs, where they found a puffy body lying face down in the road, with a bicycle a few feet away from his head. After fixing the chain, they rode back over the body, which was covered in flies, to see if they could do anything to help where they correctly surmised. There was nothing we could do for him but call the police. Yeah, they were right. He was a fly-ridden corpse. How ironic is it that their chain fell off right where this body was? Right. What the hell? That's good luck. This is why you don't be a dirt biker, because you're going to stumble upon... This is why you don't be a a runner, a hiker, or a dirt biker. You're going to run into... Mushroom hunter. Yeah, you're going to run into dead bodies. It's Mm -hmm. just... It's just... You can't avoid it. Detective Simon Fryman of the Huma City PD responded to the call. Fryman looked down at the bloated black body and took in the details, attempting to let the crime scene tell its story. There was no dirt at the bottom of the boy's socks, so he was obviously dumped here. There were no bike tracks and no dirt on the bike's wheels, so the bike was dumped as well. There was no ID, and stranger still, the body was found with a strange fluid-like substance on and around it, but with no visible injuries for it to have come from. What the hell is that? When criminalists arrived on the scene, Fryman was finally able to roll the body over to look for injuries on that side, and once again, none visible. Due to the stink and state of decomposition of the body, it was rushed to the morgue and stuck in the freezer for a few hours to halt the process before investigators could come fingerprint the body and collect other evidence. Fryman did his job and headed to the Terrebonne Sheriff's Office Crime Lab, where he requested the fingerprints be run against the APHIS database, and they came back as Detrell Williams. Mm, okay. Do you know what APHIS stands for? Um, Awesome fucking insurance security. That's exactly what it stands <laughs> for. Well, It actually stands for the Automated Fingerprint Identification System. Okay, all right. I thought maybe it was like AFIs, like the band. Oh. Maybe this is like the group. <laughs> The last few people in the world who still like them. Or America's Funniest Home Videos, AFV. Okay, well, there's no V in there. Well, there could be. <laughs> this is this database is ran by Bob Saget. Yes, he makes, ter- <laughs> he makes the same shitty voice every time. <laughs> Fryman tracked down the boy's mother. He didn't want to show Mrs. Woods the horrific picture he had unless he absolutely had to. So he showed her the bike they found at the scene. Sure enough, it was his, and it was his only mode of transportation. He was never far from it. Him as well is kind of a hustler, just kind of do whatever for money. Mm-hmm. Okay. Riding around the street, doing whatever, hanging out. I'm assuming this isn't like a common thing that goes on in New Orleans, but uh, maybe it's maybe it is. I, I don't know. Like It's hard to say because, you, you know, you're obviously talking street about... Street people? Well, just like... I'll do whatever for some cash. Oh, I see what you mean. You know what? Yeah. It's like, I, I don't know. I'm sure there's a certain population mm. and and uh, lucky, at, lucky for 
Ronald and unlucky for them. Right. He figured it out. He right. figured out about that community. Right. I just it seems like all of the cases we covered, like you don't really just hear about I, I guess straight people who are just kinda like, sure, I'll do whatever for money. True. Yeah. Right. True. So, uh yeah, interesting. May twenty eighth, Dr. Susan Garcia performed the autopsy on Dutrell. There were no signs of trauma to the body. Blunt force trauma was ruled out as well. There were no wounds, defensive or otherwise. Also no signs that the hands or feet had been bound. But the body had luckily been preserved enough to determine cause of death was the old standby asphyxiation due to strangulation. Okay. Well, this is a little different than what he normally does. Doesn't he always tie him up usually? Yeah, there's always ligature mm. marks for sure. Mm. Okay, so this brings up an interesting point because I remember on like part one you're saying asphyxia, they couldn't really tell that that's how they had died. Is that because after your body sits for a while decomping, you can't tell that that's how you died? They apparently it's it's incredibly hard to to prove you strangled somebody mm. just with wounds. Really? Yeah. Like, okay. The, that's like not enough to do cause of death, but okay. asphyxiation due to strangulation as uh, that, uh, and they do that by checking for the the jello-like blood that congeals in your th- in your neck. Gotcha. Now, asphyxia due to strangulation means he used an item, right? Or is that his hand? Yeah. No, that does mean he used an item, because okay. otherwise it would be manual asphyxia due to manual strangulation. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. Okay, we're learning all sorts of uh, mm-hmm. homicide detective stuff this week. Thank Christ for Detective Thornton, who was trolling all the surrounding parish police records looking for cases that matched his serial killer's M.O. He ran across this one. He called up Fryman, and the two began comparing notes. Mm, hopefully he didn't, like, look this... Drew Brees? What the <laughs> hell? <laughs> he just pulled out Drew Brees' picture showed up. <laughs> I, I don't think he's a serial killer. I wish he was, though, because I hate him. <laughs> no, Drew Brees is fine. He's a gunslinger. He's fine. I think it's more Sean Payton. I hate Sean Payton. Yeah. Actually, I hate the New Orleans Saints in general. Mm. I really do. I really think they suck, but uh, <laughs> but I hate Sean Payton the most. By this time, only a few articles had come out about the case, and there was zero attention paid to them. Thornton tried getting the higher-ups to form a task force, but the response from leadership was disheartening. They said there were plenty of actual taxpayers getting killed every day by drug dealers. Don't break your neck on this case. Wow, okay. That's not a comment you want to hear from your higher-ups. No, man. It's okay. In January 04, the hardworking Ronald Dominique was laid off by Caro Foods, and this opened him up for the perfect job for a serial killer, Meter Eater. Oh, I never trust them. Okay, Cairo Foods, they make that uh, that syrup. Yeah, Caro syrup, yeah. Okay, right, interesting. So maybe when my mom was making pecan pie with Caro syrup, it could have been touched by Ronald mm, Dominique. Almost certainly. Yeah. Ooh, okay. Mm. Ah, damn Meter Eaters. This job seemed to complete Ronald Dominique. He didn't kill for a year and five months. He just drove all around Terrebonne Parish, memorizing the streets and scoping out future dump sites. Then he found the absolute perfect site he wanted to eat. It was behind a Shriners Hall, down a dirt road, where it laid a majestic field, ending Mm. in beautiful forests. Well, I'm sure he can just throw the bodies with all the Shriners bodies back there. They're all corpses anyway. You know they they take them little cars and run people over. Oh... You always know when it's one of them who kill them because they put oh. that little hat on them. Oh, the little, uh, <laughs> what is it, a fez? I don't know, the the boo hat. 
Yep. The little yeah. monkey wears Yeah, it's a fess. Yeah. <laughs> so he's actually, Abu's actually in the Illuminati, yeah. if you didn't know that. Yeah. So. When you have a fez, you're in the Illuminati. <laughs> During this year and a half hiatus, the police made no progress in solving the case. What they knew for sure was 13 bodies had been found in five different parishes, all linked by the same MO, asphyxiation due to strangulation. These were referred to by police as soft kills, as there was no motive that could be associated with any of the victim's families, friends, associates, or even enemies. Nor did police have a likely suspect. Is it, I'm assuming that's not the proper term for that. It might be, soft that might kill. be uh, uh, shop talk. You know, that okay. might be some police referring to it them as okay. soft kids. I see. The first thing that came to my mind is all them airsoft boys. I Ooh, like. I don't just burn soft, my patch. I just soft killed you. Don't burn my patch, bro. <laughs> oh, my fucking sweater fell apart. <laughs> Thornton, Fryman, and every other detective in this unofficial, unauthorized task force spent a combined thousand hours poring through suspect databases looking for any of these scumbags that could be the serial killer. One night in October 2004, Dominique was driving around the parish with Tropical Storm Matthew raging all around him. The storm broke before dawn, and it was beautiful and bright. Jeff Murrow was driving home after hunkering down in his office when he saw a body lying near a pond. His cell phone was dead, so he raced home and ran to his neighbor Jerome's house, who thankfully was a criminalist with the St. Charles Parish Sheriff's Department. Okay, interesting. Arriving on the scene, Jerome noticed the young black man was very wet. He had been dumped during the storm. His blue sweatpants had nothing in the pockets, and there were no visible signs of trauma. The doctor performing the autopsy found trauma to the back and buttocks resulting in bruising, but didn't consider it unusual. The cause of death was determined to be cocaine overdose, and then written off from the investigation. From the coroner, I am closing this case as an accidental overdose. No further acts to be taken at this time. This was victim number 14, Larry Matthews, by the way. I mean, he did not die from cocaine overdose. He was raped and killed. He had the same strangulation ligature marks. He had he had bruising in his butthole. Mm. He had the whole thing. He was raped and murdered. Uh, the thing is, is like, okay, let's say you get you get killed in a hurricane. Your body's dumped out getting pounded by that storm. I don't... That's gotta, like, mess it up or, like, make it really hard for them to tell what happened to you, wouldn't you think? I would think so. The water logging effect, just the rain alone, would probably probably fuck a lot of shit up. Right. Yeah, I don't know. That's crazy. I mean, that had... That would have to be hard. Mm. Like, if you... I mean, luckily, we live in Minnesota, so if you get killed, it's basically like putting you in a chest freezer yeah. till they find your yeah, body. Till spring, yeah. <laughs> Four days later, the body of Michael Barnett was discovered by Wendy Guidry, the owner of Gator Storage, a little 100-unit rental facility in Huma. It's just like storage lockers filled with gators or what? Yeah, that's right. That's okay. right. That's where everybody keeps their gators <laughs> for the winter. Every one of these storage units has a guard gator. <laughs> Ain't nobody breaking into your little storage unit because you have guard gators outside. One of her employees noticed a rank smell and dark liquid coming out from one of the units. When Wendy approached it, she saw it didn't have a lock on it, and it was fastened shut by a bread bag tie. Gidry removed the twisty tie and rolled up the door. The stench almost knocked her out, and in the daylight, the dark fluid was clearly visible and clearly blood. Mm. Then she saw the body in the middle of the unit, naked, 
sprawled out and on his back. Terrebonne Sheriff's deputies, along with Huma City PD, swarmed the area. They called every name on the list of renters and had no luck on who was renting that unit, and to make it worse, nobody noticed anything out of the ordinary in their last few visits. First thing, bread tie, strongest lock you can possibly get. Yeah. Um, it's hard enough to open your goddamn bread bag. Number- I, you know what I do. I do the old <laughs> standby uh, uh, 1980s comedian bit. You just you just give it a spin and tuck it under. You don't need no bread bag tie. I mean, honestly, that's what I do. It's just save. It's more efficient. Yeah. Um, because I usually end up twisting it the wrong way where it gets tighter. Uh, here's the other thing. Are storage lockers the last safe haven where you can make up a name and they do not care? Yeah. If as long as you give them money. Yeah. They do not care what you do in that that rental locker. Yeah. As and as long as you're not obviously sleeping, they mm-hmm. will have a problem with that. If obviously living on a couch in your storage locker. This would have been a great episode of Storage Wars. Ooh. They start, <laughs> they start auctioning it off and then they open up there's a dead body in Ooh. there. <laughs> I don't think this is going to sell at my <laughs> antique store. <laughs> I wish I knew what any of them said so I could be like, "Yep." I know I, they all have calls. There's like two of them who actually do it for business, and then there's two of them who are just really rich assholes. Okay. Yeah. That's basically what I remember of Storage Wars. <laughs> yeah. Once again, police downright pleaded with the media to run the story, and the Huma Gazette did run a front-page story. It didn't get picked up nationally by either AP or... Detective Thornton was sleeping maybe three or four hours every other night. Every day this killer went undiscovered, more would die. Two in the same week had popped up in Terrebonne. Thornton was not media savvy. If he were, he would have fed a reporter the kill count and where this new killer was ranked. At 15 kills, he was tied with Dahmer. Oh, wow. Wow, holy. That probably would have gotten a little more attention if it's like 15 bodies. (sighs) Right. I thought Dahmer was like 20. Or no, he's only 15. Mm. In the middle of the night behind the Shriner Center, down the dirt road in Homa, There was a large, deserted field that led to a forest. Dominique had read the meter at the Shriner Center and knew it would be an ideal place to ply his trade. Ronald's truck rumbled along the field in the darkness towards the forest, and no one saw it, just as he planned. Dirt bikers are the mushroom hunters (laughs) of this episode, because the next day there were three of them zipping around the forest and field when they noticed a pile of clothes in the trees. The clothes were hiding a body. It was a white male shirtless with only jeans and socks on his back and wrists look blue and flies were swarming the body is this the first white person he killed yes is it yes okay mm-hmm. all right detective fryman took the call and as he was prepping the body for transport he realized he'd arrested this fellow before his name was leon lorette after the shock of recognizing the victim wore off Fryman noticed several small wounds on Lorette's chest. There were also markings on Lorette's neck congruent with some sort of ligature being. This had to be the same killer, but he had started killing white fellas as well. You know what? This actually brings up a a very good point now that you mention it. Um, Usually, it's known that serial killers usually kill within their same race. Mm. So if he was mostly killing black people and he's a white dude... I bet you that threw them off, like, completely. Race and age bracket Mm. will throw them off. Interesting, because as far as I remember, Dahmer was, like, one of the first one, like, high-profile ones that, like, he was killing outside of his race. Sure. 
Yeah. Um, yeah, this is very interesting, actually. I didn't even think of that till now. <laughs> Fryman went to the coroner's office to attend the autopsy, this one being performed by Dr. Susan Garcia. Leon Lorette had been dead anywhere from 24 to 36 hours before he was discovered. In Dr. Garcia's opinion, the victim was extremely drunk at the time of death, and it wouldn't have taken much force to strangle. Inter- How did she know he was so drunk? Well, toxicology report. But uh, she, I think she opened him up and went, whoo, there's someone, either he's been drinking or someone's brewing tequila in this guy. <laughs> Fucking Robert Downey Jr. Here. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, the, uh, interesting, you think, I guess if you were drunk and you died, your liver would just stop working sure obviously, yeah so. you'd, you'd smell like that because mm. that, at that point your body's just a bag full of whatever was in it you know what i'd like to know if you were drunk you died your blood was still thin would you not coagulate as fast hmm. rigor mortis not set in as fast. oh or if you like slit the throat like you would a deer mm. or whatever to bleed them mm. i wonder if it would go faster i don't know i don't know interesting uh, a coroner, reach out to us. To yeah. Let us know. Yeah, let us know. The 17th victim of Ronald Dominique was Street Tough August Watkins. With a rap sheet as long as the hills, he was a known quantity when a passing driver near the Lafourche Parish Work Release Center saw his lifeless body in a wooded area. Watkins was a 32-year-old black male who went by the name Cornbread and was really bad at dealing drugs because he wasn't all there mentally. He would fuck up weights and dollar amounts, and his count was never right. His cause of death was asphyxia due to strangulation. The investigation had entered its eighth year, and as far as Thornton, Fryman, and the rest of the dedicated police that actually gave a shit were concerned, they were chasing either a demon or a phantom. Finally, at 17 dead bodies... The numbers added up for the state of Louisiana to assemble a task force and devote real resources to finding the killer. Derek Todd Lee, the Baton Rouge serial killer, had recently been apprehended. He was a black man who killed seven white women over the course of 12 years. But hey, at least we know the racist classist equation in this one. Seven Mm. white women equals 17 male prostitutes in the eyes of Louisiana. Interesting and enough, there's another killer killing outside of his racial boundaries. Mm-hmm. What the fuck? But because it was seven whiteies, mm. find him. Unsurprisingly, Detective Thornton was the first investigator the state reached out to. They knew about his long-standing obsession with the case. Interestingly, they didn't offer him any back pay for all the off-the-clock hours he put into running down leads on this. The Task Force Organization Summit was held at State Police HQ in Baton Rouge. There were 14 officers representing six parishes, the state police, and state and federal government. The FBI offered up no weight, unlimited access to proprietary federal law enforcement databases, a lot of cops, a lot of info, and a lot of smart people to link it all together. Got to work trying to stop the slaughter post-haste. But success or failure was dependent on all these cops from different agencies putting aside petty squabbles and coming together. Yeah, you know, that's not going to happen. Here's the other thing. Did they name the task? You know, they never do. They yes, never they do. Did. They had the hot dog squad. That's it, though. That's <laughs> it. Oh, yeah, but I forgot to mention, 
why it's the perfect job. If you look at BTK, security installer, you would mm. drive around all the roads, get to know everybody's houses, ins, ins and outs of their homes, what they, what he would do. Yeah. Same goddamn thing as a meter reader. You're just climbing yeah. all over people's property. Yeah, and then the Shriners put the idea for killing people in his head, and <sighs> the rest is history here. He, he, found, <laughs> he found four too many Shriner victims, and he knew that that was his lot in life. I guarantee he asked to borrow the car. You little need cars, to. you know. I always did. wanted to drive one of those little tiny cars around. That's for sure. Why do you have to join the Illuminati to get a little car like that? And it's the bogus version of the Illuminati. <laughs> I would rather join the goddamn Masons than the goddamn Shriners. You know. Mm. Well, apparently, I'm sure you've seen. Have you gotten any Instagram messages from people telling you they're the Illuminati and they want you to join? Nope. Okay, we've gotten a few of them. Huh. Um, of course, you have to like go on to WhatsApp, I think, to talk to them or oh, something like that. Oh, so. the Illuminati runs on WhatsApp. Mm-hmm. Just keep that in mind, people who use WhatsApp out there. You're part of the problem. <laughs> That's true. One thing the entire task force agreed on was these 17 murders were committed by the same person. They built a timeline and parish map based on the known bodies. They noticed he would move from parish to parish usually killing multiple in the same one before moving on. So, victims 1, one 2, and 3 were in St. Charles Parish. 4 through 9, Jefferson Parish. 10 and 11 were in Lafouche. Number 12, he makes a pit stop to St. Charles. 13 through 16, in Terrebonne. And 17, back to Lafouche. Okay, so if we're following him, he needs to... This seems like a math equation they used to give me in, like not smart people math in high school. Yeah, I took the same math. <laughs> I took the same idiot math you did. So I would guess he needs to go back to St. Charles to fill out basically the three per parish. I would think, so. yeah. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I, so I would guess let's let's go back to St. Charles here. He's got to do some Lafourche. Oh, he's got it. But no, the 17th and, and Lafourche will put him over the three mark. Oh, one, two, three. But so, St. Charles already has three. No, he says St. Charles is just, oh, you're right. I wasn't connect. Okay, see, this is why I was in applied math. Yeah. Okay, all right. So, yes, maybe it's a four in each then. So, he's got to finish off St. Charles, then he'll go to Terrebonne. That's right. That's okay. the way it has to be. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks for bumble butt math right <laughs> I guess if people could see how you've typed this out, it literally looks like the... The, okay, Johnny has eight apples. He yeah. ate three apples. <laughs> How many apples does he have left? That's basically what we're figuring out right here. <laughs> the task force mounted up and left Baton Rouge to hit the ground running in Terrebonne. As they were loading up their vehicles, however, they got word that the dead body of Kurt Cunningham showed up floating in a ditch in Lafourche Parish. 23 years old and white, Cunningham bucked the trend not only because of his race, but because this body had been deceased for over 20 days. As it was waterlogged, the coroner couldn't say with certainty that cause of death was strangulation, but he could not rule it out either. Okay, so not only is this, like, I think this is the first one you said he th- he's thrown in a river or yep, something. in a waterlogged ditch, yep. yep, and, yep, yep. Drainage a, ditch. Yep. A drainage ditch. Off okay. of a uh, sugarcane field. Drainage ditch off of... Sh- which, if you're in... Louisiana, there's sugarcane everywhere. There is. Yeah. I think you could stab somebody with a sugarcane, to be honest with you. They're pretty, they're kind of like bamboo a yeah, little bit. Yeah, I was going to say. You just, I always see the machete cutting them, and then you got like, a, it looks like a spear, and you get the shot of that. Yeah. Uh, it, it looks like hard work. 
<laughs> so interesting. He's like switching up his like MO mm-hmm. right now. Twenty this is the oldest, the longest dead body they've found. Yeah, I was gonna say that too. Twenty days. <laughs> Usually they're finding him like a day or two after he does uh, it. Within hours sometimes, yeah. All right. This little dumpy fucker is uh switching it up. Thornton was balls deep running down leads and last known witnesses of Cunningham when Dominique struck again. This time, the victim was Alonzo Hogan, a 28-year-old black man who was strangled, raped, and dumped in a sugarcane field in St. Charles Parish. It was like Dominique could see inside the task force's collective mind. As soon as they nailed down his pattern, he decides to start dumping in random parishes. Four months later, in August 2005, he changed parishes and struck again. Wayne Smith was next to die. He was 17 and found waterlogged in a ditch. He was certainly raped. But because of the water damage, there was no way to determine cause of death as strangulation. The frustration was real. The task force was spinning its wheels. Every victim had been picked up, working the streets, and they had all been raped. Those were the only two concretes left after nine years working. So now he's going in for the sugar fields and the water ditches or whatever. Mm -hmm. These are things that we don't really have in minnesota by the way larry eiler would dump them just in cornfields yeah. and stuff yeah see that's more midwestern yep. style so this there. is just the louisiana cornfield oh. you know what lives in those water ditches fucking alligators <laughs> i was gonna say muskrats i think those bastards are all over in there at least in red dead redemption they are <laughs> that's where they hide mm-hmm. cunningham and smith had been murdered in just the short time the task force had been assembled now the story was starting to gain traction in the press and results were expected both inside and outside lawn. Suddenly, every newspaper wanted follow-up stories, and the commissioner, commanders, colonels, and majors suddenly really wanted this case to be solved. Colonels? Mm-hmm. Working methodically, the task force really felt like they were gelling and grooving. They thought they were getting closer, but there was a small problem that shut them down for a while. On August 28, 2005, Hurricane Katrina would come to t- As we know... New Orleans lost fresh water and power and for some time became a lawless black hole. You know, it's ironic, too, connecting you and Phil. I just, on our latest episode, I talked about Hurricane Katrina is a prime example of how the U.S. government cannot handle any sort of disaster. Absolutely. I mean, and that was such a small scale. Mm. It seemed like such a large scale at the time. Mm. But now that seems like small potatoes. And they just fucking forgot about New Orleans. Well, that I, w- I was comparing that because I don't want to spoil what we we're talking about. But uh, we had obviously 2020s kind of a big fuck up. And then you have Hurricane Katrina and you have all these other things. They just uh, it's just like they just. I don't know. They just wait till something goes bad before they try to preemptively fix anything. Yeah. It's just, uh, it's a mess. That's yeah. why we're, we have a shit stain dragging into 2021 right yeah. now. Well, they're the same. It's all the <laughs> same. Remember. Oh, are you in the conspiracy that 2020, we were actually in a time vortex and we're just coming into the real 2020 now? Oh, I didn't hear that Yeah, one, that's no. uh, that's a new conspiracy going around. I just think that <laughs> this is the beginning. Like, once that permafrost melts and okay. the ancient bacteria gets in the air, welcome to Ooh. every day is oh. pandemic. Uh, for those of you who didn't listen to the coronavirus episode, we talked about the new strain. I actually looked it up on, like, actual medical websites. 
it's not deadlier per se. It's 50% more contagious. So, yeah. And then it, all it needs to do is mutate one more time yeah. to be deadly. And so, then we're going to yeah. all turn into the little ghouls from yeah. uh, um, I Am Legend. Oh, the vampires. Hell yeah. Yeah. Hell yeah. Once the floodwater subsided, Thornton was itching to get back to the case before the killer could strike again. Well, the day after they got back up and running, the body of 40-year-old Chris DeVille was found dumped in a ditch in Assumption Pay. Maybe Dominique knew about the task force at this point, but it made no difference. He was well off his M.O. and had developed a pattern that was beyond reason. Coming up here is a rare, lucky story. Hmm. John Banning was out on parole. He was looking for money, and he was horny. Hey, we've all been there. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Dominique spotted Banning walking along the highway and pulled up beside him to have a chat. Hey, want a bear? You going up the road? Dominique kept giving him the elevator eyes and decided correctly, this guy was straight. And Dominique had a perfect plan for this and whipped out a picture of a beautiful woman. How'd you like to fuck this hot white girl? She'd really like to make it with a dude like you. I Look, this is too creepy. If some dude, first he offers me a beer, then he says, hey, look at this girl. You want to have sex? Like, ah. And he said it was his wife, too. So uh, I mean, apparently that's not that uncommon. Cuckold porn. Yeah, yeah. Um, but from this dumpy potato uh, man here, I don't... I'd to be, have, like, a hot-ass model yeah. in your wallet? Yeah. I'm like, I don't think she's banging you in your 1988 Chevy Silverado here, dude. Well, Banning had his dick on hard and said, heck yeah, and hopped in the truck. Dominique didn't look dangerous. The truck began rolling down Bayou Blue Road when Dominique said something completely out of nowhere. Don't be surprised that I want to tie you up. What the fuck did that mean? There's a stigma in the world about being gay. Both of these strange statements sounded like one side of a conversation that was playing out only in Ronald's mind. Dominique parked in front of his trailer, and Banning, although a little freaked out, still wanted to fuck this hot white girl. When they went inside, Dominique said, Okay, take off your clothes, I'll tie you up now. Banning decided that wasn't right. He looked around the trailer where there were Christmas decorations <laughs> everywhere, even though it wasn't even close, mm. a portable toilet, at least a dozen jars of his own piss, and the thing that freaked him out the most, the overflowing stacks of gay porn. Okay, so he's... This sounds like an incel's house, to be honest with you. <sighs> piss jars. I was talking with somebody about piss jars. Piss jars! How do you do it? I don't know. It, it, people Why do, do you it. want to do it? Because you don't want to get up to go to the bathroom, I guess. Well, I don't get it. <laughs> I don't get it. I understand it like if you're out in the garage working on a car and you don't want to go in and take all mm. your garage clothes off, you pee in a windshield wiper fluid bottle. I've done that before. Okay, maybe not the best place <laughs> to be, but... Uh, okay, so you've never been so enthralled with a game of Tetris, you're just like, I have to piss in a jug i'm not getting up it's never happened <laughs> it's never happened I, I i like to go have a pee have yeah. a little break uh sit down look at my phone a little bit it's no, nice a stinker tinker that's what you call them a stinker tinker yeah because you're taking a dump and playing on your phone i stole that from the league by the way a stinker tinker yeah but i'm not pooping i'm just peeing you might get a surprise a phantom poop it happens it does happen <laughs> banning busted out through the trailer door and sprinted back for the highway Dominique didn't try to stop him, and Banning was able to hitch safely back to town. You know, Dominique's big ass isn't running after him. No. <laughs> He'd have to roll like a little egg man he is. <laughs> you see a giant egg rolling after him. Yeah, that's Dominique here. Humpty Dumpty coming down <laughs> yeah. the road here. <clears throat> 
Thornton and the task force finally moved their investigative eyes towards the list of sex offenders that were out on parole, and thank Christ they did, because Banning was on that very list. When they pulled him in for questioning, he said, It was a few weeks back. I was walking down the highway when this guy in a black pickup pulled up. He was a fat white guy and said he could fix me up with a hot white girl. So I got in the truck and off we went to Bayou Blue. Banning offered to take his parole officer out to the place if he wanted. The task force almost shit their pants. Thornton met Banning and his P.O. on Bayou Blue in the church parking lot across the street from Dominique's sister's property. Banning pointed to the trailer and cautiously, Thornton and a few others approached the mailbox. When they opened it, they found the name Ronald J. Dominique on a letter inside. Ooh, you know what I was wondering? Do you think he showed him a picture of his sister? I mean, this is Louisiana. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I got she... a hot, horny white girl. Uh, ain't she hot? <laughs> <laughs> Finally, a suspect. But they didn't have a kid. They first had to question the guy before they went any further. Mm. Thornton returned to the trailer the next day and knocked on the door. What answered was a short, portly, disheveled, middle-aged man in a white t-shirt. Thornton was able to convince Dominique to come down to the station to answer some questions. He was offered a chair in the Terrebonne Parish Sheriff's Office interview room and sat opposite two detectives. On the tape recorder, Dominique seems cool as a cucumber, and it seems to be the detectives who were nervous. After all, they had never been in such close proximity to potentially the most prolific serial killer in the first decade of the new century. Still, they followed procedure, they Mirandized Dominique, and had him sign a form waiving his right to an attorney. Thornton said, Okay, Mr. Dominique, we've got a complaint from John Banning. He said he'd been at your trailer on Bayou Blue and that you tried to tie him up. Way too quickly, Dominique answered, I'm gay. Tying up John was part of a sex game and nothing more. Thornton still had the Caucasian hairs recovered from the first victim's body, but Dominique needed to consent to give up his samples before the lab could run a comparison. When Thornton asked him if he could pull some hair for sampling, Dominique broke his cool for the first time and snapped, What's this about? Mr. Dominique, please, we're just trying to clear these cases and rule you out as a suspect. Fine, ain't have nothing to hide. What? You know, here's the thing. From the picture, he doesn't have too many hairs on his head. Maybe that is what he's wearing. Like, you know, when you're starting to bald, like I am, every hair is precious. You have that's to foster a, each and every yeah, one. That's like, those are like your little babies. Yeah, you can't you gotta, take in this shit. Yeah, like, you start taking that, then you, you one, one less hair you have. Like, imagine if you went up to Larry David and asked him for a piece of his hair. I wonder if he did that for the uh, PBS show, the Know Your Roots or whatever it's called. I can't remember. But they did him and Bernie Sanders, and they found out that they're actually cousins. Really? Yeah. yeah. Here's the thing about Larry. Shiniest dome you've ever seen, mm -hmm. but the hair around that is like the thickest hair you've ever seen. It's he's insane. An, he's he's a, a puzzle piece, man. He's weird. It is so thick. <laughs> he could grow a skullet for sure. He's kind of at, He has like the world's biggest cul-de-sac on his head. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the shiniest cul-de-sac. <laughs> With that, he consented, and lab techs swarmed the room, taking hair samples, nose swabs, mouth swabs, and placing everything carefully in marked containers and getting the required signatures to maintain chain of custody. Dominique was thanked profusely by Thornton and shown the door. If Dominique did do these crimes, he had basically convicted himself by signing off on those DNA tests. I was going to say, I mean, if you said he likes making sure people find the bodies, 
you know he's he's rock hard this whole time. He's the killer, and he knows it, and he loves. He thinks he's getting one over on him because <laughs> he's cooperating so uh, good. Yeah. Uh-huh. Thornton had a stroke of genius and pulled up the database of sex offenders who were charged but never convicted. Sure enough, Dominique's 1996 forcible rape charge was brought up along with a small write-up. According to neighbors, a partially dressed young man escaped from the window of Dominique's trailer in Tibidu, screaming that he had tried to kill him. When the case went to court, the Vic couldn't be found to testify. If you'll remember the screaming mm. man breaking mm. out of his trailer, this was that incident. Very similar to what, um, what's his name? <laughs> John just Banning. Yeah, yeah. John, John Banning. But wait, there's more. They also found the 2002 assault charge where, if you'll remember, Dominique screamed at a woman who had hit a baby stroller with her car at a Mardi Gras parade. He kept screaming until he finally slapped her across the face. Thornton knew they had the right guy, but they really needed something concrete before he killed again. Nick Pellegrin was a young hustler hard up for cash. On November 5th, 2005, he was making repairs to his house when he noticed a pudgy white meter reader walking up the property. Dominique shouted up, Hey, how you doing? How about if I stop by after my shift for some fun? Which, of course, meant sex for money. Uh, Nick readily agreed, and after work, Dominique picked him up, and the pair drove back to Bayou Blue. Look, I couldn't imagine somebody coming on my lawn and saying that to me. I'd be so terrified. Yes! Yes! <laughs> you want to have some fun tonight? Oh, my God. Oh my God. And he's got, like, that weird little tool with, like, the stem coming out of it that meter people have. Mm-hmm. Just, like... It's uh-huh. it's it, it, it's like the street barkers in Vegas that are like, you want a loose slut tonight? Take this card. It's like that's so. What? I've never been more put off. I've I've heard that's a thing there. That it's very strange. It's luckily the the ones that are the best are just the little Mexican guys that mm. are just like they just like hold it up because <laughs> they don't speak any English, and then you just go no, and they're like. Next they guy, they next do guy. give out a lot of cards for like escorts and stuff, don't they? Yeah, you can you can play a little game called like how many can you get, but I always just say no. I'm, yeah, I'm not taking it from you. I don't care. Uh, it's too creepy. Dominique had to be more careful of the screams this time with the kill trailer hooked up at his sister's place. Not only would she hear it, but also the faithful churchgoers across the road. Four days later, Pellegrin's fully clothed body showed up in Lafourche Parish with ligature marks on the wrists. This was victim 22, and was the first body with lacerations to the back of the head. Detective Thornton correctly theorized that Pellegrin had been knocked unconscious before being raped and strangled. The task force wanted to bring Dominique in immediately, of course, but there was no evidence. The DNA tests hadn't come back yet, and still could be months away. All they could do was surveil and wait. Does it usually take months? Back then, I guess, yeah. Or is yeah. it just because it's a lab full of crawdads doing yeah. all this? <laughs> <laughs> they have to go back to the river every night. It takes forever. <laughs> they keep dropping the... They keep pinching the samples off of their pincers, though. <laughs> it's delicate work to uh, try and match up, <laughs> especially for a crawdad. But, no, in real life, it's very delicate work trying to... Uh, <laughs> Match up. DNA. I just am picturing like crawdads with like lab coats on and they <laughs> keep like safety goggles. They have all the the gene numbers up there and he's like pointing with his claw. <laughs> which one are you pointing at, Thomas? Tell me which one you do you want to get boiled tonight? Tell me which one oh, you're pointing at. <laughs> oh, I'm a doctor. I'm a crayfish doctor. Don't talk to me that way. Thankfully, 
the DNA comparison only took a few days. And Thornton got a call from the FBI crime lab. The Caucasian hairs found on Oliver LeBanc's body matched those taken from Dominique. Unfortunately, it's a mitochondrial match, which meant it could have been Dominique's hair or anyone related to him. So they didn't want to blow the case by charging him. But the revelation did allow more resources to be put into surveillance. Mm, Good, good. A 24-7 man surveillance van was parked in the church parking lot and manned by feds. They even got a helicopter to fly over the property and take pictures when Dominique left. Is his property that big? (laughs) I thought it was like a trailer on somebody else's property. Uh, Well, it's his sister's property, yeah. Mm. But yeah, they're surveilling her property. It was tough not to notice the increased police presence, and Dominique started contemplating making a run for it. He went inactive for a long time, and in that time, the task force got another mitochondrial DNA match, this time from the eighth victim, Angel Meja. After five months of inactivity, the task force budget was running low. They were back to working on their own time to make sure the surveillance stayed up, and there were cracks in the surveillance. One night, while being loosely tailed by police in his truck, with a few quick turns, Dominique shook them off. I mean, they don't know how quick a 1996 Chevy Silverado can turn, dude. Seriously. And it's black. That's hard to see at night. Oh, he's like fucking Kit from Knight Rider. He's like the, uh, what's his name from The Driver? He can just escape any money. Oh, Ryan Gosling. No, the, the British guy. Oh, Jason Statham. Yeah, From the Transporter. The Transporter, yeah. that's what I'm thinking of. Can you imagine this this big-ass guy driving around like Jason Statham outrunning the police in his 96 Chevy pickup? Did you know they rebooted those movies? Nuh-uh. Yeah, with uh, the guy that originally played the mercenary that Daenerys was fucking on Game of Thrones. Okay, the guy with like a weird mouth. Yeah, the buck. Buck face. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Interesting. I mean, I guess if you need a generic British person to play, that looks movies. like he's made out of something yeah. that's not human. It's like the generic rated character on British video games <laughs> is that guy. <laughs> like you, can't, you can't fix the mouth. It's just stuck that way. Yes. There's no option. What <laughs> just is it, the, the big, teeth or mouth. The big British book of smiles or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> Christopher Sutterfield was a 27 year old white male who was visiting friends in Huma when he disappeared on October 15th, 2006. The next time he was seen, he was a dead body. Sutterfield was dumped off Highway 69 in Iberville, Paris. Dominique went very far out of his norm to dump this time. The task force was contacted, and sure enough, same telltale sign. Thornton looked down at the body and promised this would be the last life Dominique would take. The autopsy came back, asphyxiation due to strangulation, and Thornton was out of options. He had to arrest Dominique. So he's killed two people since he's been under investigation? He's killed four people Is it since four he's been people? under investigation. Okay. Yep. Jesus. Tired of the constant surveillance, Ronald's sister kicked Dominique and his trailer off her property, and he finally settled down in a flop house. You That's know- where Thornton moved in to make the arrest. You know damn well his sister was mad. She thought the police were there to steal her fucking Cajun boil recipe. I don't know why. Oh, They're here to steal my goddamn old Bay seasoning, goddamn yeah, it. Yes. Them crawdads are in the fucking helicopter. They're after me. Those goddamn crawdads have graduated from doctor to <laughs> helicopter pilot. Can you imagine Top Gun? But uh-huh. it was crawdads. Craw, craw gun. Yeah, that'd yeah. be fucking awesome. Top craw. <laughs> That's the version they Top only Top gumbo. Sell. 
there you go. <laughs> That's the only version you can buy in Louisiana. Stop gumbo. <laughs> when detectives got there, there was a media leak, and the entire location was swarmed with cameras, boom mics, and reporters shouting questions, which, of course, were ignored. Inside the flophouse, Dominique was sitting in his room in deep reflection. He was patted down and rushed past media to the police station, where they now had to question him fairly. Although they were convinced of his guilt, the task force still had to prove it, and it would be nice if it were through detailed confession. Thornton had been doing research on interviewing serial killers and recognized if you open the interrogation with polite, idle conversation, you can get them to open up in surprising ways. Mm, you gotta do good cop, bad crawfish. <laughs> <laughs> How long yeah. you been sitting on that one? <laughs> I just envisioning the crawfish with his giant pincers holding him over his little fingers. Like, you better tell us if you killed these men. Or I'm going to start chopping fingers. off. start clipping. <laughs> <laughs> Almost immediately, Ronald started talking about LeBanks and Mayha. Thornton was caught off guard by how easy this was. Maybe all it was going to take to get a full confession was to simply be interested in what Dominique was saying. Either way, detectives quickly Mirandized him before he said anything juicy. With everything official and legal, Thornton's main objective in this interrogation was to get Ronald on tape admitting to the two murders he was being charged with and then start digging into the others. With his kill total at 23, he was only outdone by Juan Vallejo Corona at 25, mm. Wayne Williams at 24, Gacy at 33, Bundy at 35, and Gary Ridgway at 49 confirmed. And Samuel Little. How many did Sam Little do? I, allegedly it's 90, but I don't know. This case. How many was he charged with? Oh, he died. I, I don't. So, yeah, yeah, he's he's dead. I don't. That's I don't the know. one that died. He just died. Yeah. yeah. I don't know if it's from Corona, but he died of something. Yeah. Being old. And that book is supposed to come out last October, and now it's coming out this October. That's too bad. That's yeah. too bad. Uh, yeah. That's uh, too many bodies. Yeah. Dominique first tried claiming self-defense against Oliver LeBanks. He admitted to picking up LeBanks in the French Quarter for a good time, taking him back to his car since he didn't have money for a hotel. Dominique said LeBanks pulled a knife and threatened to cut his throat if he didn't give him all his money and let him buttfuck him. So Ronald grabbed a tire iron and swung it twice at his head. He then said he blacked out in a rage, and the next thing he remembered, he was choking the life out of LeBanks with a seatbelt. So he's doing like the Eileen Warnos uh, uh, thing here. Yep. Interesting. Yep. Okay. When pressed for what happened next, Dominique said he didn't go to the police because the boy was very clearly dead, so he just drove until he found a dumpster that made his stomach feel like it was the right spot and left him there. That was concrete, intimate knowledge that proved beyond doubt that he killed Le Nobody else could have known those details. All those details, yeah. yeah. Especially since you said, like, the media coverage wasn't great. Mm -hmm. Uh like, nobody but the killer would know that, because mm -hmm. it wasn't anywhere. Thornton then brought up Manuel Reed. Dominique's story was the same as with LeBanks. He blew me, and after I came, he told me to lay on my stomach so he could rub his thing on my butt. But then he grabbed my shoulders and shoved it in and started screwing me. I panicked and grabbed the tire tool and hit him. When he fell, I grabbed a rope and tied him up so he couldn't hurt me no more. He pulled loose, so I grabbed another rope and started strangling him. Then I noticed he wasn't breathing no more. This is Do that's Dominique. Wow. Okay. Interesting. By saying this happened twice, with tire iron and rope at the ready, in place in the car, 
Dominique was prepared to immobilize and kill his victim. Mm -hmm. This made it premeditated murder, which, of course, is punishable by death in Louisiana. Here's the thing. Is there ever a reason to have a rope in your car? Let alone two. Yeah. Let alone a backup rope. I mean, it's. I highly doubt he's pulling over on the side of the road and playing Cat's Cradle. Yeah, or like... tying Christmas trees or something. <laughs> yeah, or making popcorn strings. Hey, yeah. <laughs> Detectives concluded the interview and, and left Dominique in the interrogation room with a plate of dinner and a can of Pepsi. Louisiana. The... <laughs> Louisiana delicacy right there. Pepsi. Give me that Pepsi. <laughs> I'm more of a Coke man, but I'll take Pepsi. Yeah, they'll always take a Pepsi. <laughs> When the door closed, they silently celebrated. They were finally about to solve this madness. Two out of the 23 killings had been figured out. Dominique was playing a self-pity defense, and Thornton leaned into it, reassuring Ronald it was okay. Everyone understood that he was hurt and raped in prison. Everyone understood his family hated him for being gay. Thornton was getting everywhere by acting as a sympathetic ear. The more he listened, the more Dominique spilled. After listening to him whinge a little while longer, Thornton got more direct, trying to catch him off guard. Were you worried when you had them in your truck or car about being stopped by the police? Yes. Perfect. What an admission to get on tape. Dominique was starting to get tired and said, It was the same with all the rest. We fooled around. I got worried they were going to call the police. I strangled them. I dropped them off. After just three hours of interrogation, Dominique had talked a lot enough to up his indictment from two murders to all eight that took place in Terrebonne Parish. There were 15 more bodies to get him to admit to, but detectives were beyond thrilled that Ronald would talk her. While Dominique slept in his cell, Thornton and the Terrebonne Parish DA hashed out a deal. They made a joint decision that if Dominique led them to all 23 dump sites, the state wouldn't seek the death penalty. It took no time at all for Ronald to agree to the the next morning, the road trip was in full effect through the bayou. Dominique was in the first of six unmarked cars. He was navigating the expedition. They wanted to make sure on record that he was leading them and not the other way around. If he did, he was on the hook for all 23. Driving through the parishes, Dominique pointed out dump sites through the window, occasionally being let out in cuffs to point out additional details. He was the textbook sociopath, no remorse, no emotion. By the end of the day... They visited all 23. The deal was fulfilled. Ronald pled guilty to eight counts of first-degree murder in exchange for life in prison. Ronald sat hunched over the defense table, never looking up as the judge read the eight names he was being charged with. He declined the opportunity to make a statement before sentence. Eight life sentences to be served consecutively were handed down, and Ronald still didn't react. Immediately, deputies took him away to begin serving the rest of his life behind bars okay so he man this guy killed a lot of people and 23 yeah this is uh this guy doesn't get a lot of pop especially since it happened not that long ago honestly nope. Two... everything all was wrapped up in 06 okay well there is a great documentary is it a good documentary very on good okay very good it's not on amazon though is it okay maybe the one i'm thinking it has, like, the black guy on the cover, right? Yep, that's him. Okay, yeah. Okay, yeah. See, I thought maybe that's a bad cover because I thought that was the killer. Because yeah. usually they put the killer yeah. on the cover, not... But again, then again, maybe this guy is just kind of so ugly they couldn't put, put him on there. Uh, nobody would ever click on it. Mm, no. They say, hey, Amazon, take this off of Amazon so I don't have to look at his ugly <laughs> face no more. But yeah, this guy is, is a complete piece of shit. Um, 
I'm kind of curious. Okay, some for from his first admission, he said that they started having sex, then he killed them, basically. Do you think that actually happened, or it was just he just killed them right I think, away? I think that was part of his game a mm. lot of the time, was the rub your rub your wiener on my butt move. And then that sets him off. Yeah. Then he would pretend he felt some sort of penetration and mm-hmm. start going to town. Start going nuts. Okay. Interesting. This guy is uh, one of the weirder ones that we, we've we talked, especially you covering kind of this um, genre of serial killers. He's kind of the first one you have like extreme detail about. You know what I'm saying? Yep. Like not just like bodies being found. And you that know you can all- thank to Fred Rosen who authored the book that about this it's it's fantastic it's called the bayou strangler by fred rosen and also thanks to of course research assistant kelly who this show is i'm hooked on kelly the show wouldn't be the same without her she's great she knows what she's doing she has access to shit we do not have access to hooked on phonics kelly (laughs) and uh (laughs) yeah that was a fantastic series a lot of people I think really like this one because they were maybe, looking forward to it. Yeah, yeah maybe it's a uh, you know somebody I'd never really heard of. Um, I'm sure a lot of people haven't heard of him, and apparently my comment about calling him a dumpy shit uh, was very popular. It as went well. over. Yeah, yeah. I I don't. I mean, when you look at him, you just think this guy's a dumpy shit. First, First time I saw him, I said that's a dumpy shit right there, <laughs> and that's an insult I don't ever use. Yeah. But it just came out. It's yeah, I, I wouldn't call somebody dumpy because it's not like 1960. <laughs> That's yeah. not an insult. But this man is dumpy personified. Yeah, yeah, he is. And he, like the one comment pointed out, they all have that exact same shirt. I don't know if it's required to have that shirt. That like red, black, and cream uh-huh. weird stripy <laughs> shirt. <laughs> I don't know why they all have it, but they all have it. And they all have sweat stains yeah, too, for sure. Yeah, exactly. Well, great job, Adam. Thank you. Very if, good episode. If you think I did a great job, you can tell me about it by leaving a comment on bumblebuttpodcast.com. Fill out the form. It'll come right to our email. It's great. If you also want to tell us how good we did, you can hit follow on Spotify and leave us a five-star review on iTunes if that's where you're listening. Another thing you could do, follow us on Instagram at Bumblebutt Podcast. There's a lot of good conversation in the comments section. You can go talk to everybody if you want to. There's always somebody to talk to. Uh, Another thing you could do, go to our website again, and (laughs) this time buy a shirt, bumblebuttpodcast.com. You can buy a shirt of any size almost. It's pretty cool. And if you really want to be a superstar superstar show show listener, mm. you can go to patreon.com slash podcast. Donate at any level. I think there's eight or nine Patreon exclusive episodes up right now with more to come. Hell yeah. Yeah, we got to get to the part two of coronavirus eventually. Mm. Um, sooner rather than later. Sooner rather. We'll get to it. Mm-hmm. I promise you. Um, but yeah, we need to thank a few new patrons we have here. Tell me the newbies, if uh, you wouldn't mind. We got to thank Christine. Christine. Thank you so much. And thank you, Elizabeth. Thank Elizabeth, you so thank much. You. Christine so, and Elizabeth, you're uh, monsters. Yeah. You're beautiful you're monsters. Beasts. I love when, because Christine, I believe, is from Europe somewhere, and they do the currency uh, thing, and it's kind of unique to see the little different money symbol on A little there, euro so. money. Yeah, you got thank... a new euro guy. <laughs> thank you, Christine, for that. Yeah. That's the best. So it's in, it's sending us this alien money symbol, whatever that is. Yeah. It looks like an E, but it's kind of curly and stuff. 
I hope it's worth something. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> it is. She just said I was trying to think of what money from Star Trek is, and I couldn't think of it. Credits? Uh, Do they use credits? They don't use money in Star Trek. They don't use money. It's a utopian money. society, my gotcha. friend. Gotcha. Okay. All right, everybody. That's going to do it for uh, all of us here at the Utopian Bumblebutt Podcast. Uh, my name has been Adam. Thank you, Adam. That has been Cody. Thank you, Cody. Thank you, Cody. Next week, uh, we'll, you know, we don't ever talk about what we're going to do next week, so I don't even know why I said next week. So mm. just tune in on Wednesday for a fantastic Between the Bumbles with Patreon Tiff. And uh, tune in next Sunday for another brand new episode of the Bumblebutt Podcast. We will uh, see you then. As always, have a nice weekend, unless it's Tuesday. See ya. See ya.